This episode of the Pillar Podcast is brought to you by Seton Home Study School, an accredited school assisting homeschooling parents with an academically excellent and authentically Catholic curriculum. For more information, go to seatonhome.org. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Pillar Podcast, the podcast that brings you great Catholic conversation each week. I'm your host and Pillar Editor-in-Chief, J.D. Flynn, and I am joined, as always, by my podcasting partner, uh, coming to us from uh, his uh, his uh, his parents' home in the great state of New Jersey, Ed Condon. Ed, how are you? I'm I'm hanging on by my fingernails, buddy. <laughs> why is that? I don't even know. Um, I I I don't even think I understand why you're in in New Jersey. What what are you doing? Uh, my my sister and my brother-in-law are undertaking a once in a lifetime pilgrimage to the Holy Land. And so my wife and I agreed to watch their six children for a period of days, basically covering the overlap between when my brother or my sister and my brother-in-law left and my parents get back into town because they've been out of town on a different trip. Um, so yeah, I've got, including my own, I've got seven kids under 10 in the house and uh, oh. it's, it's, it's a change of pace. Last week I was at the lake and there wasn't a soul to be found for miles around. And, and now right. I, I have five heartbeats within 12 inches of my body at pretty much any time of daylight. It's, yeah. Yeah. It, it's a thing. Is the missus with you? It's, it, it has not been clear to me. Oh, no. Yeah. No, no, no. My wife is my wife is here as well. Um, and I'll be honest with you. We are both um, doing our best, but I think it'd be fair to say we are if not overmatched, well-matched. <laughs> well, that sounds, Ed, like a lot of fun. So your brother and sister went to Galilee, eh? Uh, I think they're going to be in Galilee. I, I I don't know the exact itinerary they're going Galilee to. is just what I call the whole thing. Oh, I see. Yeah. No, they're, they're yeah, they're going to, to La down, Terra Santa. Down, down be... Nazareth way. Yeah. They're going to, I think they're going to do the whole thing. Um oh, Okay. Yeah, I, and and good for them. I'm glad that they're. I'm glad that I can make a, a small personal contribution of, of man hours towards making this happen for them. So that's good. now, are you are you finding that you need to impose more discipline upon, the, like more structure and routine upon the children than you might have been inclined to? Because I I would imagine that you would have gone thinking like, well, I'll just be you know Uncle Ed, and now it's like, nope, wash your hands, get at the table, just because you have to you have to have order to 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 survive. You do have to have order to survive. I mean, uh, it, it helps or hinders the imposition of discipline um, that all six of my sister's children are are objectively beautiful. Um, so, so they're they're very easy to interact with because they're just pleasant to look at. So that's nice. Uh, I I would say two are very reasonable. They're they're of the age of reason. You can you can dialogue with them you can explain what you want them to do and why you want them to do it and they are you know like like well-trained dogs of sort of 18 months years of age they are you know they are eager to please and be pleased um so oh, they're okay. fine it, the 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 daughter is is similarly um lays herself out to be agreeable and that's fine the the two middle boys are um they're a handful and they definitely are a tag team um and the and the baby is uh is fine. The baby actually, the their youngest is about. Um, I guess he was a year and a half now, so he's he's about he's fully a year older than my kid, more or less. And uh, the two of them are getting on like a house on fire, which has been really fun. Um, the the child is, 
it, it's funny. I had kind of come up here as coming. I, I came up here assuming that the baby, having not been exposed to other children for any protracted length of time, and you know, your baby, your baby, yeah, my baby, um, being the spoiled only child of slightly older parents, you know, she would not take well to all of these other children. The reverse has been true. Um, she's she like learned to crawl in 24 hours and is now halfway to standing. She's decided that she wants to just eat normal solid food. She's turning her nose up at the baby food, demanding um, uh, ground beef and cheese and all sorts. I mean, it's it's remarkable. I you know I kind of feel like by the end of the week she's going to be talking. Hmm. Well, that's great. Yeah, you know, big, big, big siblings will do that. Big siblings will do that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we have something. Ed, I, as glad as I am for that, and as much as I'd love to talk with you more about uh, um, parenting, uh, we have some things that we need to talk about. And and I'll tell you why. Last week, if if you didn't listen to last week's show. Uh, a po- an episode of the podcast called The Bachelor. I would recommend, audience, that you go back and listen to that episode before this episode because um, there's going to be some continuity. We're going to talk about some things right now that we talked about in the last episode that are very serious and that um, require, I think, you know, you to be prepared and have your have your thinking caps on and, and be ready. And so if you didn't listen to last week's episode of The Bachelor, before we get into things this episode, I would recommend that you... Um, Go back and listen to at least the first half of that this that first that episode, the, the Bachelor. Wouldn't you agree, Ed? Yeah, I mean, okay. This is a, this is weighty subject material, and I mean, we can try and recap it, but it, there's there's so much um, nuance, as there always is when you're discussing the intricacies of sacramental law in the church. That I I think it's I I I worry that trying to trying to parse it in a sort of you know previously on. Um, we wouldn't come near the, the wealth of detail that makes this conversation worth having. Yeah. Okay. So great. Okay. So um, just let's just give a minute for those guys to leave. Okay. I think they're they're gone and we can move forward now. Yeah. Because what what we need to talk about, Ed, is last week we talked a lot about the... <laughs> I did not want to break, and I did. <laughs> Last week on the Pillar Podcast, we talked about the the current canonical matrimonial status of former President of the United States Donald Trump. I did not want to break. I really wanted to do this. <laughs> what is our job? <laughs> this is what we do for a living. <laughs> And people, thank you. It is an extraordinary privilege, audience, that we get to do this for a living because we'd be talking about this anyway. And thanks to you, I'm not even, this is not some BS like subscribe, subscribe thing. It's just, it is an extraordinary privilege because we'd be talking about this anyway. And now we get to talk about it. And like thousands of people, thousands of people, more people than I could fit in a small stadium listen to us talk about this and i'm honored i'm humbled by that but it's also it's a surreal experience is it not i i I try not to think too hard about it i get (laughs) i i sort of react the way you do um okay so last week go ahead all right um (laughs) we're recording this show on wednesday night this might be a this might be a good reason not to record this show at night because i just uh, maybe i've had a long day okay go ahead i'm Uh, ready yeah. <clears throat> so we were discussing last week um, the the current canonical matrimonial status of <laughs> former President of the United States Donald J. Trump, 
who has seemingly attempted marriage on three separate occasions, first in the late 70s to Ivana. Do you remember the years? Uh, 77? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. In 1970 to, to one Ivana Trump, nay, forget oh, her I, birth, last name. Unimportant. We will refer to her as Ivana Trump, and that's fine. Um, Zenyakova. Zenyakova. No, Ivana Zenyakova. In the early 90s, uh, they sued for civil divorce. And in 1993, I believe, he married um, a lady. He attempted marriage. Donald Trump attempted marriage. Yeah, with he attempted. He civilly married. He attempted marriage with Marla Maples. That's correct. Marla Maples. We were calling her Miss Mar- Marples last week. Miss Marples is uh, um, um, an Agatha Christie character. She's an old. She's an, a very old woman who solves crimes by being observant and. No, by... she saw Miss. No, uh, Miss Marple solves crimes by being nosy. Um, <laughs> yeah, she's the true. archetypal busybody. Any that this is a, oh, we're yeah. not going no, down. This, this, we're already talking about Donald Trump's marriages. <laughs> we do not have time to go into Agatha Christie. Um, Mr. Trump and Ms. Marples, Maples. I forget which is real now. Um, also, uh, that ended in civil divorce, and then I forget in what year he attempted marriage for a third time with um, Melania. Previous. Surname. Yeah, in I, 2005, he attempted marriage with with Melania. We're just going to call her Melania Trump. It okay, matter. with the the current supposed Mrs. Mrs. Trump, Trump, who and first lady, bo- former first lady of the United States, former first lady of the United States. Now, what we were trying to unpick here is Melania Trump is a baptized Catholic. Um, Mr. Trump is not a baptized Catholic, although he is a a baptized Christian. Um, and we and were, were we were unpacking the presumptions in favor of marriage in law. And trying to figure out what, following the the sad death of Ivana Trump, um, some a week and a half ago, I believe, uh, what his canonical status was now, because the presumption of the law would be that his original marriage to Ivana to Ivana Zenyukova was valid, and of course, marriage being indissoluble was unaffected by his divorce and subsequent two attempts at remarriage. And so the working theory we arrived at... But marriage is dissolved by what? Uh, well, it's dissolved by death. Um, the death of one of the parties. So exactly. Our, our, we were one, what we were wondering is, presumably he had been married all this time to Ivana Trump in the eyes of the church and, and in reality. Indeed. Um, and uh, upon Ivana's death, what is his status? Is he indeed a bachelor? A bachelor? And uh, we, we left it kind of up in the air because... Um, there were a lot of moving pieces. There were a lot of moving pieces, mostly involving the fact that Ivana Zenyakova had previously contracted marriage, albeit in the civil form, and giving some indication that she was simulating for the purposes of obtaining Austrian citizenship. Um, she'd previously contracted a union with an Austrian ski instructor, I believe. A, a man named Alfred Winkelmeyer. That's it, Herr Winkelmeyer, um, still living. And if one presumed the validity of her prior union in 1971 to Herr Winkelmeyer, then that would mean that the church no longer presumed the validity of her attempted marriage to Donald Trump in 77, because she would have been bound by prior bond, which would have meant that the church then shifted its presumption in favor of validity to Mr. Trump's second attempt at marriage to Marla Marples. Right. That's right. That's right. And so we were wondering, we, we the ball the balls in the air last week were contingent upon the baptismal status of, in as much as we could tell, of Mr. Winkelmeyer, um, by the way, would that his name had been Mr. Winklevoss? I just wish, I just think that would have added an element to the whole whole thing. At any rate, the uh, the balls in the air pertain to the baptismal status of Mr. Winklemeyer, and 
to a lesser extent, to the baptismal status of, um, of Ivanas and Yakova, though we didn't think that we'd be able to, um, to ferret that out. However, earlier this week, it was announced that the funeral of Ivana Trump would be uh, a mass offered at St. Vincent Fair um, Parish in New York, uh, administered by Friars of the Order of Preachers, a Dominican parish in the Archdiocese of New York, um, that Ivana Trump would be, again, um, mourned at a funeral mass, that she would have a funeral mass. And so um, we reached out to some Dominicans to see what we could see about this, and what we learned is that Ivana Trump um, was a baptized Catholic. And in as much as we're able to tell that Ivana Trump was baptized in infancy ahead of all of these marriages, she was not an adult convert. You and I spent some time, not on the show, but just in real life, speculating this week about the fact that perhaps she had converted later in life, but she was living on the Upper West Side after ha- having been divorced by her husband, these kinds of things. But in fact, in as much as we're able to tell, it seems that Ivana Trump was baptized in infancy. And that adds um, some important information to clarify the picture of Mr. Trump's marital status. Does it not, Ed? It does, um, for a number of reasons. Uh, there still are some... Um unresolved questions about the the presumption in favor of validity of her first attempted marriage in 1971 to Herr Winkelmeyer, um, because he is of uncertain baptismal status. And also, as we discussed on the show last week, there, there was an operation in many countries behind the Iron Curtain um, in the period of the 1970s, uh, various dispensations in different places, um, lifting the obligations of things like the canonical form of marriage for Catholics, because often it was difficult to publicly celebrate or access the sacraments in these places. So there, there was a doubt there about that. But what we do know is that Ivana Zinyakova and Donald J. Trump in 1977 did not marry according to canonical right. form. See, this is what uh, earlier today before the show you said to me, well, you know, but we don't know if perhaps there was this dispensation in Czechoslovakia such that she might have married Mr. Winklemeyer, uh, validly, without without the observance of canonical form. And I said to you that it's not germane. And indeed, it's not germane. Why? Because whether or not she was mar- previously married, uh, well, in, in fact, whether or not she was married to Mr. Winklemeyer, what is unquestionably true about her attempt at marriage with Donald Trump in 1977? Uh, is that it did not observe canonical form. It was lacking canonical form entirely, right? And as a Catholic, whatever else can be said, it can be said that she was bound to canonical form for validity. Uh, assuming she is not dispensed from it by her proper pastor. Again, assuming she was not dispensed by it by her proper pastor. <laughs> so assuming that, assuming she didn't get a dispensation from form, and you can get a dispensation, a Catholic can get a dispensation from form to marry a baptized non-Catholic or an unbaptized person. Well, a Catholic- well, well, no, hang on. It's not a dispensation from form to marry um, a, an unbaptized person. That's a dispensation from the impediment of disparity of cult, which is a, a totally different, different thing. thing. You can get a dispensation from the impediment of disparity of cult to marry an unbaptized person. And yes, if you're going to marry an unbaptized person, you can get an impediment. For, you can get a dispensation from form. Yes. Yes. Yeah. If you're going to marry an unbaptized person and you're a Catholic, then you need to get an, you need to get a dispensation because the law says that you can't validly marry an unbaptized person unless you're dispensed from the law. So that's one. And then two, if you're going to marry an unbaptized person, you could get a dispensation from canonical form. This often happens when a Catholic is going to marry, for example, a Jewish person, and it's important to the family of the Jewish person that the um, wedding take place in, uh, according to Jewish rites and customs or, or something like that. An interesting thing that the, the, the practice of the law in the church is, is that um, when, when you are dealing with either a marriage arising with a disparity of cult that is a, a baptized Catholic um, and a non-baptized person, 
or also what we call matrimonia mixta, uh, which is basically when a when a good God fearing Catholic marries a Protestant. Um, it is often the case that they will be they will seek a dispensation from canonical form because they will want to have it in, for example, the Protestant venue of uh, the the other party's um, family, or similar, or perhaps even a, a sort of neutral ground if there are sensitivities on either or both sides of the family, that sort of thing. Um, but and the church tends to take a pretty broad mind on these things uh, in, in favor of the couple provided they're, you know, they're asking permission for all of us ahead of time and trying to get the dispensation. But what the church does not ever like is a mixed service. And mm-hmm. uh, if they get wind of that, it will usually result in the in the um, dispensation from canonical form not being granted. That's right. You can you, get married according to Catholic canonical according to canonical form in a Catholic way, or you can get a dispensation to not get married according to canonical form. But the church doesn't like a sort of hybridization of rites and rituals. Yes, because it, it yes. conflates and confuses and promotes the error that these things are basically interchangeable and all the same, and they are not. That's just a little yeah. trivia for you. But yes, it does seem, um, in the light of the newly discovered knowledge of Ivanya Zinyakova, um, latterly um, so-called Mrs. Trump funeral and baptismal status, that the presumption of validity would not apply uh, to her union because it prima facie lacked all canonical form, which would, of course, shift the church's presumption of validity to Mr. Trump's second swing right. at the matrimonial pinata. Um, that's right. And I, I, uh, I guess that's um, that's really just of trivial interest to you and me and other people. But I, I would assume um, Melania Trump. Uh, will probably take an interest would in this would be of considerable detail. importance to Melania Trump, yeah. who, if indeed she wanted to have, um, uh, she wanted to uh, have her marriage, uh, her, her her domestic situation regularized, if indeed she wanted to be married to Mr. Trump, um, it would require that he, um, she encourage him to petition um, for a declaration of nullity on that marriage to Marla Maples, which would be a formal case. Now, um, Ed, uh, if... Mr. Trump had petitioned for that declaration of nullity, say, three years ago, something would have been different than it is right now. Uh, well, if he'd done that three years ago, he would have been the head of state, and so he it would have, have had to go straight to Rome. Um, Who has have... exclusive competence to judge the merit of the merit? It is the Roman Rota. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Supreme Tribunal of the Roman Rota, uh, which is the church's sort of Supreme Court of Appeal for... Uh, for ordinary people, but here's in first instances the cases of yes. uh, heads of state. Well, I was also going to say the Supreme Court of Appeal in, in um, juridic cases, that administrative cases can go higher to the signature, but um, it's the it's the last and juridic And you can appeal administrative decisions in the context of rural cases to the apostolic signature. So yes. if you raise an incidental cause about some element, you know, some judicial decision, not not the judicial decision, but some... Not the substance of the case, like, but... The, right, some administrative decision of the judge about admitting testimony or something like that. You could appeal that to the... You can also order. accuse the judges of um, of nefarious action or conflicts of interest or, or things you like that. You could indeed. You could indeed. I don't recommend that ploy uh, unless you've really got the goods. The the signature, I don't think, would, would take an appeal yeah, on those grounds lightly. Yeah. So a couple of years ago, um, when Mr. Trump was the president of the United States, if he had petitioned for declaration of nullity, he would have done so uh, at the sacred tribunal of the Roman Rota. Um, But now uh, I believe he is domiciled in um, the Archdiocese of Miami. So were he to decide to petition for declaration of nullity, he would do so there or at the place of contract. I don't know where he and Ms. Marples um, got married, um, exchanged consent. 
Um, I once knew, <laughs> believe it or not, because I was doing homework on this, but I no longer recall where he and Miss Marple's exchange content. So the place of contract, the form of most his proofs is also acceptable. The form of proofs. Where Miss Marple currently of, lives, it could be the um, form yeah, of the, her res- domicile domicile the respondent's fine. Yeah, right. So there are a number of places that would be, that would be competent. But if indeed... Um, Mrs. Trump wished to regularize her domestic situation, then Donald Trump would petition for a declaration of nullity, and assuming that he received an affirmative decision, then Mrs. Trump and Mr. Trump could um, convalidate their marriage with a new act of consent according to canonical form. Yes. But I am not going to be getting my series of Donald Trump Bachelor, alas. No, you are not going to be getting your series of Donald Trump Bachelor. That's right. Um, in the meantime, of course, um, God rest the uh, the first Mrs. Trump and me. Um, she enjoyed perpetual beatitude. God rest. Excuse me. Ed is correcting me with a finger wag. Um, God rest Miss Zenyakova, and may she enjoy perpetual beatitude in the eternal kingdom of heaven. And um, and here's something. Just while we're feeding about all of this, <laughs> oh, no, here's something more. that here's something that surprised me. We'll have to do a little bit of homework, uh, and maybe we'll talk about this next week for a third week of all this. There were three eulogies at um, Ivana's funeral today at St. Vincent Fair Parish in the Archdiocese of New York, administered by the um, Order of Preachers. And I was surprised because um, ordinarily the church discourages the practice of eulogizing someone in the context of a sacred... That That is surprising. Eulogy. Um, yeah. And it's, and again, it's also quite surprising in the context of a, of a Dominican parish. Yeah. So should we wish to talk more about this? That is a set of questions that we could ask. But um, we can't do it right now, Ed, because um, I know that you want to keep talking about this, but we do have other stuff, serious stuff that we need to talk about. I, I think we have. Um, I think I think this second season of Donald Trump Bachelor is really all, all well, we've got. It's canceled. Donald yeah. Trump Bachelor is canceled. It's, yeah. Yeah. He's fired. <laughs> See what I did there? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. You know what? This week's episode of the Pillar Podcast is sponsored by Seton Home Study School, an accredited school, probably the largest in the country, that aims to help uh, homeschooling parents with an academically excellent and authentically Catholic curriculum. Uh, that is right. They place a particular emphasis, I understand it, on making sure that the Catholic faith and instruction in the faith is really woven into the entire curriculum. It's not a question of studying religion and religion class, but making sure that um, the not just the rudiments of the faith, but thinking in a Catholic way, using examples from the Gospels, the lives of the saints, that this forms the basis for teaching everything, whether it's mathematics or literature or history, all of this stuff. So taking a, taking a sort of fides quaerens intellectum approach to, to the academic endeavor. That's right. And here's the deal. Uh, let's talk real for a minute here, homeschooling parents. It is July 20th. If you're anything like the Flynn's, you are starting to think that you need to start school soon and you have not done a whole lot of planning about what starting school is actually going to look like. Seton Home Study School aims to take the pressure off, aims to help parents um, from who feel like they have to like go through a lot of different curricula and find different things and personalize and individualize because Seton Home Study School is uh, a textbook publisher, um, has, uh, has teachers on staff, educational experts on staff, all who aim to take a lot of the guesswork and that hustle out of homeschooling. If you think that might be right for your family, check them out at seatonhome.org. Seatonhome.org, where you can find out whether Seton Home Study School, an accredited school helping homeschooling parents with an academically excellent and authentically Catholic curriculum is right for you.
Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Pillar Podcast, the podcast that brings you great Catholic conversation each week. I'm your host and Pillar Editor-in-Chief, J.D. Flynn. I'm joined by my podcasting partner and partner in crime, Ed Condon. And we're going to talk for just a moment about um, the pontiff, the uh, the supreme pontiff of the Holy Roman Catholic Church, the Bishop of Rome, um, Pope Francis. Servant of the servants of God. The servant of the servants of God, patriarch of the West. Ooh, do we st- I did, they, they stopped using that no, one. No, they stopped using that one. Benedict yes. kicked that one out of the, out of the annuarium. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know what his problem with. I always thought that was nice. I thought it was poetical. I think "servant of the servant of the servants of God" is is a beautiful expression. I don't know why it's not in the annual arm anymore. Well, but doesn't oh patriarch he, of the West is that what we're talking about? Yeah, patriarch. No, servant of the servants of God is servants still of God there. is still in there. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, I think patriarch of the West is, although no, I'm pretty yeah, sure he th- dropped it. I thought it was I thought it was Francis who dropped it. No, I'm pretty sure Benedict dropped that one first because it was it was considered I forget what it was, but there was some ecumenical sensitivity around it with regard to the the Eastern Orthodox. That's right. In two thousand six, it was no longer listed in the Annuario. The Holy See in that year released a statement explaining the omission of the title from the Annuario on the grounds of expressing a historical and theological reality and being useful to ecumenical dialogue. Um, the Holy See stated that the title Patriarch of the West symbolized the Pope's special relationship within jurisdiction over the Latin Church, and that omission of the title neither symbolizes in any way a change in that relationship, nor disturbs the relationship between the Holy See and the Eastern Churches, as solemnly proclaimed by the Second Vatican Council. The Pope has to be the um, the Pope has to be the Patriarch of the West, Ed, because how do you get to be Pope? Uh, you are elected the Bishop of Rome. You are elected the Bishop of Rome. The Supreme Pontiff, the successor to St. Peter, is the Bishop of Rome, the Bishop of the Diocese of Rome, which is a part of the Latin Catholic Church. So the Pope has an intimate connection to the Latin Catholic Church, even if an Eastern Catholic were to be elected the Bishop of Rome, the yes. Latin Bishop of Rome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So um, what were we talking about? We were going to talk we... about the Pope um, traveling, I think. The current Pope, yeah. Yeah, the current Pope, Pope Francis, who everyone said um, confidently, and by everyone I mean witless secular media pundits, um, <laughs> predicted that he was... A lot of prognosticators. A lot of prognosticators from cable news um, insisted that they'd seen um, suspicious things like cardinals in the Vatican and things like that. And so Pope Francis was clearly about to resign or die or resign and then die or die and then resign. Who knows? Um, it was all a lot of confused claptrap from a bunch of people who didn't know what they were talking about. Um, but they were absolutely adamant that Pope Francis was done with traveling, that he was battening down the hatches and uh, getting ready to depart office one way or another, and they were wrong. And Pope Francis is resuming his international travel schedule. He is soon to depart to um, the, the great white north of Canada, um, mm. where he will have a, a nice day. They have, I have been uncharitable about papal visit and vatican event logo-ry in the recent past they have a very lovely papal logo um, they do have a lovely papal logo and this is an this is an unusual and kind of a remarkable papal trip because the pope is not going to canada on a state visit or merely a pastoral visit he's going on what he calls a penitential pilgrimage yes um and and that's that's i mean you don't get that pretty unusual thing yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and it i mean it is uh i mean i i you hear people, um, not just in the church, but um, in in the uh, sort of wider commentariat, debating from time to time the sort of utility of uh, current leaders apologizing for sort of past institutional sins, be it of the church or in countries and nations and governments and things like that. And I, I have some sympathy with the 
idea that an apology by someone who isn't actually personally culpable carries very little weight. Like, for example, the sort of or example of a fatuous faux apology is was the former UK Prime Minister Tony Blair apologizing for the Irish potato famine, which, you know, is witless on his face. But in the church with the, the Pope, English did. Oh. No, we're not. Okay. We're not. No. Just just put it back in your box, Patty. The we're potato. Not gonna, no, we're not doing it. <laughs> I'm you not imagine? having your Joe Biden-esque green beer BS <laughs> on this podcast. We're not. We've we've had too many tangents already. Well, you you're trolling me here. Buddy. No, I'm not trolling you. I was just trying to make a, 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 a an example which I could distinguish the Pope's trip from. Because you don't think that the English had any culpability in the in the irish i don't think there's any relationship between the labor government of 1997 and the irish potato famine nor do i think there's any communal guilt of the people of the you're tempting me down we're not doing this stop it what i was going to say is the church does is not a temporal or primarily a temporal institution that it is linked to the community of saints it is linked to eternity that it is a different kind of institution It is human and divine and most importantly, it is a model of the penitential path that it encourages its members, and it is itself on on Earth as it makes its temporal the, pilgrimage we are, towards. We are. The I'm not kidding when I say this. We are a pilgrim, a pilgrim people, we and are. Um, and we are all. And the church is walking in a certain way, the uh, the mystery of the Via Dolorosa. Yes, right? and yeah. to model for the church to model in her members and in her leadership. Uh, a true understanding and remorse and regret and sincere penance for the sins of the past is not a hollow gesture. It is a real thing. And it is also, and I mean, the trip hasn't happened yet, but I am assuming the Pope will be doing all of this in, in solemnity and sincerity, because why else would he be going? Um, to do this in a way that is actually sincere and does understand that, um, you know, the dead are not truly dead. That you know, uh, all human life looks towards eternity in one way or another, and to see an expression of remorse and sorrow for institutional failings, which is not hollow, is not a political gimmick, but is rooted in the announcement of the gospel, is rooted in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, is an important thing for a world leader like the Holy Father to model. Yeah, I agree. I think that's yeah, so. I'm. I do think it is a. It is an interesting thing that he's doing it, as you say, not as a sort of pastoral visit, not as a state visit, but as a. So we have a, begun assessing it before we kind of have fully explained it for those who sort of aren't uh, keeping up. So let me just bring you up to speed um, on all those things that I think are true, in case you aren't already up to speed. The reason the Pope is going to Canada is on a penitential pilgrimage related to the Indian residential schools, um, the period of time in which Canada's government contracted with the Church, and the Anglican Church and other kinds of civic and religious institutions to establish residential schools in which the um, culture of Indian kids was often taken from them, the language of Indian kids was often taken from them, and um, in some cases, uh, you know, the, there was a report last year that came out that, that sort of detailed those. In, in really tragic cases, um, Indian kids who were sort of forced into residential school were uh, psychologically, physically, and sexually abused. To um, say nothing so of separated from their families. To say nothing of, their se of separated from their families. So, um, so the the Holy Father is going to um, uh, to Canada in in a penitential way. He says to apologize to that and to spend most of his time with Indigenous communities, um, aimed at uh, aimed at uh, reconciliation. And that reconciliation is, as you say, aimed at aimed at the proclamation of the gospel and the witness of the suffering servant. So I I think there's something quite 
remarkable about that. And and one of the things that I think is cool about it is that, you know, the Pope is going to um, Edmonton and he's going to Quebec City, but he's also going to, I'm, I'm not going to pronounce it right, like Equalot, Equalot. He's going to the Canadian Arctic, like he's going to... Um, the proper frozen uh, north. Yeah, he's going to the proper frozen north to the capital of none of it, which is that, which is... Um, the capital of none of it? Yeah, none of it is um, is a Canadian province. It used to be called... Um, it's not actually called none of it. Well, how would you say it? I don't know. I, I've never heard this word before. I'm asking in total childlike ignorance here. Oh, yeah. It, it is a province of Canada. It used to be a part of the Northwest Territories. And then in, in the, I want to say around 2000, it was I should separated. I should stress my entire knowledge of the geography of Canada is from a risk board. Okay. Then... This is the part that's closest to Greenland. Okay. And the part that's closest to Greenland used to be part of the Northwest Territories, which is another province. Provinces are like No, that's states. nonsense. Greenland is on the eastern side. Yes, it is. So how could it be part of the North of Greenland? Greenland? Because the top of Greenland, Canada effectively touches the top of Greenland. Oh, so we're going for the sort of drawing together of the circle at the top towards yeah, the Yeah, way at the top of the earth there. Uh, yeah. None of it because goes, the Earth is round. The Earth is round, and none of it goes sure basically it to the top. So it's also, I mean, as it happens, it's also, I think, probably, probably. I mean, I don't what, what the hell do I know? But I suspect it's probably relatively close to Russia as well, because it's at the top there. You know what I'm saying? Right. It all it all comes together. At it the all pole. kind of yeah. So anyhow, none of it was part of the Northwest Territories, and then um, a new territory was sort of lopped off in 2000. Called some of it. Called none of it. And it is a, gosh, Ed, you're going to feel terrible because this is an indigenous word and this oh, is very no. meaningful to the indigenous people that you were just saying how important I'm it is. So, okay, I unreservedly outlet. apologize. I did not know. I, But you must have known. I mean, otherwise. No, I did not know. I honestly didn't know. Again, okay. I know nothing about Canadian geography other than having played Risk. I don't. It is a very, it's an interesting because it's a huge province. It's huge. Um, but population-wise, is a very, very, very small province. I think that there are... I believe that there are fewer than 50,000 people living in the province of Nunavut. And I believe that this city that the Holy Father is going to, Equalot, which I'm sure I'm not pronouncing correctly, I believe that fewer than 10,000 people um, live in it. Uh, so... That... I mean, I like those numbers. It's Yeah, I mean, that's the kind those of... Those are attractive like demographics to me. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised that you um, uh, don't. Uh, you know, I in many ways I'm surprised that you don't live in a in a um, in a, a cabin in the Canadian wilderness. Look, it, um, it ain't for want of trying, buddy. I got a wife and a kid. I... But this whole place, um, none of it, so to speak. This whole place has a has a a polar climate, or near the entirety of the thing has a polar climate. So some of it is inland, but. There's a there are a lot of islands in the province of the territory of Nunavut and a lot of like um, coastline and stuff. So this is like this is polar bear country is basically what I'm trying to tell you. Okay, I'm going to say something you're going to think sounds trivial, but nevertheless, this is the kind of thing that appeals to me. So I'm just going to say it anyway. I, I as I've said, I'm glad Pope Francis is making this penitential pilgrimage. I think that it has value and merit and everything else. Is it wrong that part of me? wishes it was Benedict the Sixteenth going, and let me tell you why before you leap to conclusions. Pope Francis is a pope who prefers to dispense with much of the, the sort of flummery and um, traditional dress and that sort of thing. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Pope Benedict was... was I, I know where you're going. I know was kind of going. in favor of bringing it back. He'd wear the Santa hat when he'd appear on the loggia at Christmas. At Ermine, the man, the man never met... in Ermine trimmed anything he didn't love. And yeah. he, you know, in the summer, he'd wear this... He'd wear the, the Galero, the red sort of, you know, um, Saturn-shaped hat and everything... And I wonder what is what is pap- what is old school papal Arctic gear look like? Because I bet that's a heck of a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Francesco will just like if it's chilly there, he'll, he'll just, wear like, a North Face jacket or something. Some dude's and, jacket, yeah. exactly. That's right. Like, yeah, fine. I mean, they'll probably put like duct tape over the logo so you can't see who he's wearing because you know you don't want to endorse the product. From yeah, the although from time to time. Um, do you get? I get these pitches in. I get uh, so when you're a journalist, guys, you get a lot of like. Um, emails from people who work for PR companies that are like, hey, you should write an article about this thing that I'm paid to promote. And a lot of times it's basically like, hey, you should write an article about this thing that I get paid for. And uh, rather than me advertising in your thing, I'd just like you to give me some free publicity. It is what it is oftentimes, right? Ed, yes. Sure. And I've, I've taken to exclusively respond to those things with the one line response, nice try, Fed. <laughs> and I find that I don't often get another email from them. Which Okay. So I have gotten a few times lately... Um, emails from people who are auctioning off papal cars, like this car drove oh, the Pope yeah. from here to here. You know, when the when the Pope visited Slovenia, um, this car drove, was standing by. It was the secondary papal car that, in the event the first one got a flat, the Pope would have been switched into this one and driven to. And now we're auctioning it off for charity. What charity? Well, us. But um, we somehow got our hands on it, and you, you get these kind of things, right? Yeah, and every now and then someone will donate a Lamborghini to the Vatican, and they'll make the Pope drive it 10 feet so that yeah. they can say the Pope drove this Lamborghini and auctioned off for insane amounts of money, which will then go to a perfectly worthy charitable cause. I would be in trouble because I don't know how to drive a stick. But um, Really? Yeah, I mean, I think I probably could drive a stick if I needed to. I mean, I, I understand the concept, to be sure, and I have done it. In fact... I had done it a little bit, and then in 2000, I don't know, five or 2006, whenever World Youth Day was, in 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 Cologne, um, I rented a um, a, a Passat wagon in um, Amsterdam to drive to Cologne, and it was a stick. So I basically had to learn again how to drive a stick, like on the autobahn. Ooh. Dusseldorf. I rented in Dusseldorf, and I had to drive it for over. I, I was doing this youth pilgrimage thing. I, I had to drive it from Dusseldorf to Brussels, and then drive it around like city Brussels. Ooh, I've I've spent many a weekend in Brussels. That that would be some hard driving. Yeah, for a wagon, a stick wagon. When I was really just yeah, cobblestone streets, lots of hills. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So anyhow. great beer though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was on a pilgrimage, you know. Yeah. Well, you're not. A- <laughs> You're supposed to Americans, just be dehydrated? Americans are, as you never fail to remember, r- remind me, puritanical about these sort of things. So I don't know. I probably I, I'm not suggesting you, you do shots. I said beer. <laughs> beer doesn't probably count as drinking. Pro- I, don't, I don't remember. It was probably fine. It was probably fine. Um, um, why are we talking about... Oh, auctioning papal cars. Sorry. Yeah. Carry exactly. on. So probably if he had a North Face jacket on, somebody would snag it and auction it. You know, I have a gift, one of the, one of the of, an extraordinary gift that I have been given... When um, I live in Denver, and um, I used to work for the Archdiocese of Denver, and when John Paul II came to Denver for World Youth Day in 1993, there was a carpenter who, or a wood carver, I suppose, who carved all of these crucifixes that were hung in the various rooms in which the Holy Father would be. And um, you might remember that the Holy Father prayed at the Chapel on the Rock at um, 
uh, at a retreat center in, in, in Estes Park. You've probably seen the pictures of the Holy Father praying at these really, really beautiful chapel um, up in the mountains in Colorado. And uh, and then he had a little refreshment and coffee inside this little retreat center. And then he, he uh, at any rate, um, they had carved these things for that. But he also stayed at the rectory in the cathedral, and they put one of these crucifixes in the room where he stayed at, at the cathedral rectory. And somebody gave me that crucifix that hung in his room at the rectory as a gift. That's it was, really it cool. Was extraordinary. It was a very cool gift. Wow. Yeah. So the problem is that one of the arms fell off of the corpus. So I have... Oh, that now, raises a question. I have to take it to be repaired. Yeah, and you're going to have some explaining to do. <laughs> I mean, you, you basically have to say you broke it. Because what are you going to do? Take it to the guy who carved it and say, I'm sorry, it's just inferior craftsmanship. I don't think I'm going to take it to the guy who carved it. I'm going to take it elsewhere. Oh. For just that reason. I don't want to have to look at the guy. <laughs> just that reason just, I, I would have to just one of two things to the guy. Either I didn't take care of this priceless thing or you did not create this priceless thing especially well. And I don't want to do either of those things. I'm right. That, well, that was what I was going to say. It's, yeah, right. It's okay. complicated that way. So, um, so if the Holy Father were wearing a North Face jacket, when he goes to Iqualat, he probably would, um, it probably, someone would probably snag it. And, or, I think it's very cool that the Holy Father is going to this town that is... Um, uh, in the center of the sort of uh, region most populated by um, indigenous people in Canada and there to meet with um, uh, Inuit people and to and to have time of prayer with them and things like that. I mean, that I, think, right. I think the whole thing is really quite beautiful. I like that. Um, okay, so here's something I wonder. Um, when, when Her Majesty the Queen... Time out. Everybody, I just want to congratulate Ed right now. And the, the reason is this. When we mapped out what we were going to talk about today, um, the thing that Ed is about to say is one of the things that we mapped out that we would want to talk about because we thought it was interesting and we thought it would be good radio and we thought you would enjoy it. But Ed has begun presenting it so organically, so naturally, that I for a moment believe that he was spontaneously wondering about this thing that I have written down on a piece of paper in front of me. I would just like to commend Ed for his radio transition in all the glory in which it has been presented. I, I drive a seamless stick, whether on the podcast or on the road. There you are. Never notice the gear so changes. I, Smooth as silk. Um, so what are you wondering at? I am wondering, well, in, in Her Majesty the Queen of Canada, when she goes anywhere. Oh, because the Queen of England is the Queen of Canada. She's also the Queen of Scotland, the Queen of Wales, the Queen of Northern Ireland. Um, I mean, depending on how you want to litigate certain points of international law, arguably the Queen of France. Um is she anyway. still the queen of Kenya? Uh, no, I believe Kenya um, renounced the monarchy in the seventies. The there was the Mau Mau rebellion. It got it, it was it did not end well. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, so when her match goes around, she has staff and security, and she also has equerries who you know will tend to sort of do a bit of pre gaming and um, you know let the host know. Uh, you know, when, when she's coming to town, you know, it would be good if you had this sort of thing. Or, you know, the, the queen would prefer a bottle of brandy on her nightstand and, you know, the, you know, this sort of thing. And I wonder what it's like knowing the Pope's going to be overnighting in your digs. Yeah, because it, it, I do also wonder what it's like knowing the Pope is going to be overnighting in I thought your I had digs. this thought alone. No. So a pillar, Ed, I don't know if you know this or not, but a, a pillar listener... Um, and uh, and friend of the show um, is the pastor of the parish that will be the Holy Father's first official stop in Canada. I bet you didn't know that. 
Oh, I did actually. And <laughs> look, you're the one who wanted to pull back the curtain on all of this. You probably also know that Michelle, our managing editor, Michelle LaRosa, interviewed him uh, or is interviewing him tomorrow, I think, to, to ask him this question because the question that I have been curious about, that you, you and I have been curious about uh, for a little while now, and the reason why Michelle's going to interview him tomorrow is just, I have, it's just so curious. How do you get ready for the Pope? Like, you're the pastor of a little, this guy's the pastor of a little parish in Edmonton. And, uh, and it's the first official visit, you know, visiting place of the Pope. How do you get ready for the Pope? How do you, how, how, do you have to paint? What is it? What does it cost to get ready for the Pope? How do you decide what cookies to put out in the sitting room where the Pope, you know, inevitably you're going to prepare a little sitting room for the Pope. I mean, how do you decide what snackies to get him? Or, or do you go the other way? And instead of like coat of paint, you know, change the curtains, that sort of thing, like, you break a couple of windows, you you mess the place up a little bit and try and impress the Holy Father with, with how busy and with your poverty way. and your, you know, that you're really living Again, close Francis, to the floor. Now, yeah. If Benedict were coming, I don't think anyone would think that, right? Like, I don't think anyone would think like, well, I, but, but, you know, for Francis, I think there is a way in which you might think, well, yeah, let's really give him a sense that I am. Um, close you, I'm the, saying there's a risk. You don't want to look like you live too, too well. And you, but at the same time, you don't want to look like you weren't. You don't want to look like inhospitable. I mean, you don't want to look like you, you don't care. You don't want to seem inhospitable or like, oh, was this today? I'm so sorry. I just made. Gosh, although imagine, could you imagine if you got the day wrong? The whole no, no, not if you got the day wrong. But imagine this. I think you'd be a cardinal within a year if you do this. The Pope's entourage is pulling up. The Pope mobile is pulling up. It is your job to stand there and greet the Holy Father and welcome him to your parish. And you say, Your Holiness. Thank you for coming to the parish. The tabernacle key is in a sacristy drawer. I've got to go anoint somebody. And you bounced. That would be I very mean, cool. I mean, I think the Pope would be deeply impressed. Yeah, uh, that would be very cool. I mean, it just would be, it would just be, it would be the... Even if you just went way, like hung out at Denny's for two hours. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, you'd, have, you'd have to kill some time. But it would in a certain way be the ultimate pastoral mic drop. Like, Your Holiness, thank you for coming to the parish. And, and, if, you, and if you were like... And if you can, could you stay and pick up the five fifteen for me? Because that would be know. awesome. That would be. I think. I and think our with guest the Holy, celebrant pope, will be <laughs> right. I think with this pope, if you had that kind of chutzpah, there's a decent chance you'd be a member of the College of Cardinals within a year because he likes. He seems to like, you know, a, a little bit of a, a little bit of tenacity. I, I that that would be a heck of a move. I like that. I think that's a great idea. So it is not too late, Canadians, if you are among. Those who will have the opportunity to greet the Holy Father or receive him in a certain way. I mean, just consider the legend that you would be. And maybe there is a pastoral emergency, right? But, but just consider this. You consider the story and, and know that in a certain way, the Holy Father would take great delight in it, right? I mean, he's named for Francis, and I, I think he would like it more than anyone. I don't know so if you consider. Yeah, I don't know if you get a red hat, but you'd definitely be in the curial Advent address when he wags his finger at all the Vatican bureaucrats and says, you know, "He'd be like, you could be like this guy." Yeah. You know, he'd be be like. So, I mean, I but I think you would just give the Holy Father a, a little bit of hope, and I do not think you would pay for another beer for the rest of your life. That's very you Although that it, it's a gamble, because if you said to the Holy Father, I'm on my way to a hospital or a prison or whatever else, I've got to anoint he someone. Said, so yep. if he said, that's beautiful, I'll come with you. Yeah, what do you do then? What? <laughs> then you go to the hospital, you're like, oh, you know, I know, I think they did call, oh, and just like, you go into a room of a parishioner that you just visited the day before, and they're like, everything's fine, Father. And they're like, no, no, I just know. just had my tonsils out. I did? <laughs> 
just play along the pope's in the next room yeah oh gosh yeah if he if you if you were bluffing and the pope called your bluff you would be toast i mean toast i mean you have to have a certain amount of um the ability to 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 smell character or you hopefully don't make it all the way to the chair of Peter, but yeah, it, mm-hmm. I mean it's a roll of the dice. But if it pays off, I agree, it'll be an immense story. Oh, it pays off huge. Yeah, that's right. And uh, can I just say, if any of you um, fathers in Canada who might be receiving the Pope are listening and taking this idea to heart, I I would deeply appreciate it if you know kindness for kindness, you make sure you give the story to us first. Uh, yes. At the same time, and this is where I thought you were going to go. I would be grateful. Let's say that the Pope does want to come with you and your bust, your bluff breaks up. I would be grateful if you did not see fit to mention our name or, or suggest. So the Pope would be pleased, right? So let's just talk about this. The Pope would be pleased if you said, Your Holiness, I have to go anoint someone. You know who would not be pleased? Your bishop. Your bishop your would be Your bishop miffed. will be ticked. Yeah, but you'll be his boss by the end of the month anyway. So <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, that's part of it. Is like that's part of it. Is your bishop's going to be like, how did? <laughs> how, well, you know how, how like that auxiliary bishop, how did bishop Dabrowski in... over there think of this before I did. First yeah, of all, exactly. Like, yeah. Well, you mm-hmm. know, there's that auxiliary bishop in Mexico who got made a cardinal last year or two years ago. Uh, or I whatever. think it's Panama, but yes, Panama. Yeah, it'd be like that. It's like you wouldn't even. You probably wouldn't even make you a bishop. He'd just be like, no, I'm going to make you a cardinal. You're going to stay a parish priest, but you get a red hat. Yeah, right. Exactly. Just like, yeah. What do you do with yeah. that? As yeah, well, a, as what a bishop. you do is you line up first at your first in the order of liturgical precedence. That's what you do. Oh, yeah. what does your bishop do? Yeah. Your bishop is in a tricky spot. It's like um, I don't think Avery Dulles was a was a consecrated bishop when he was made a cardinal. I think he asked to remain a priest, and so Avery Dulles's provincial superior and his house superior. Had to be the house superior of a member of the College of Cardinals, and that is a little tricky if he's not doing what he's supposed to be. You know, if he's not, everybody ha- I, there's a. I have a question sheet, about that. This right? is a canonical question, and you might know the answer to this because you cited the Avery Dulles example, and I, uh, I, I, I sincerely, I mean, I know who Avery Dulles is, obviously, but I, I don't, um, I don't know the realities of his pastoral life once he got the red hat. So part of the prerogatives of a cardinal in law are that you can do things like confirm members of your own household. And, you know, that you have certain faculties, and one of them is confirmation. For sacraments ordinarily reserved to the bishop, do you gain the faculty to administer the sacrament on your own by virtue of being a cardinal, which is a purely ecclesiastical rank and not uh, related to orders? That's a good question. The only way that we can answer it, though, is to go to the law. I'm in somebody else's office. I don't. I don't know that I have my. I don't have my full texts with me. I've got a code around here somewhere. But. Okay, I have opened the code to the chapter to uh, to the chapter on the College of Cardinals. Like the, I'm in the 350s. Yeah, the hierarchical structure of the church. Mm-hmm. And I do not see. So bishops have certain faculties everywhere. Those privileges that you mentioned could they be in pastor bonus? And they if might they're be. in Pastor Bonus, they're no, they don't mean anything anymore. Because Pastor, Pastor Bonus is dead. Yeah, right, exactly. So what we, I think, need to look at is Predicate Evangelium to the motu proprio end. Uh, no, Predicate Evangelium is an apostolic oh, constitution. constitution. You're right. To the Constitution. To the Constitution. So here's one thing that is in the Code, J.D., um, 
In those matters which pertain to their own person, cardinals living outside of Rome and outside their own diocese are exempt from the power of governance of the bishop in the, of the diocese in which they are residing. Oh, okay. So, so no, but okay, here's so the thing that... of their own diocese. If you're just a Say priest. Say it again, where are you? Uh, this is Canon 357, paragraph 2. Oh, you're in the law still, okay. I'm in the law. But here's the thing. Uh, if you no are not made a bishop, you're just a simple, humble parish priest who gets a red hat. Your diocese is still your diocese of incarnation. So this sets up a sort of catch-22 in the law, because the presumption of the law is that all cardinals are bishops, or made bishops. Yeah, right, because that is the presumption of the law, because the expectation is that you become a bishop. You're supposed to become a bishop unless you ask for permission not to be. I don't know the answer to that faculty's question. I think that this is the case where there would be sort of special law ad catellum, as it were. Now, I'm sure that I, I can think of the canonist. I can think of the canonist. He knows who he is. He lives in Wisconsin, who <laughs> about five minutes after he gets to this section of the podcast will pause it to tell us the answer to this question. But I look I don't forward have, to hearing from him. I don't have it in front of me. You know who I'm talking about? I do know exactly who you're talking about. <laughs> I'm sure he's going to tell us the answer, and I'm very grateful for that. That's why we love you, brother. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so that's the thing is the Pope's coming to Canada and wouldn't it be something? And it is a remarkable thing, this um, penitential pilgrimage and uh, what do you do when the Pope comes to dinner? Now, uh, the, the, I, I, we know what I bet you, because I mean, Pope Francis is, he is a man. And so he, like all of us, is possessed of his own personal likes and dislikes. Probably some of them are irrational and, you know, just what they are. Wouldn't it stink? If you were, you know, you you did everything. You're the pastor who's welcome. You you did everything. You know, you you made the place look just right. You had his mm-hmm. room perfect. You had, you know, you you'd made a good dinner, but you made it yourself. You know, you weren't, you know, and the Pope arrives, and as as you're walking, you know, approach as the papal motorcade pulls up, you know, the first sort of Swiss guard or whoever it is or Monsignor gets out. And says, By the way, I'm sure this is an issue, but just you know, the Pope really hates dogs. And you've got like a Labrador in the... You're, no, anybody who's having the Pope over... I, you don't have a dog, but I'll tell you this because I have a dog. Anybody who's having the Pope over... Well, see, oh, a married person who is having the pontiff over would board their dog because their wife would think of it. She'd say, we got to board the dog. And he's like, oh, okay, I'll drop out. You wouldn't just lock it in the bedroom? I... Okay, I have had... And I, there's no way to say this without sounding like a jerk. So <laughs> oh, then please. This is the story I want to hear. I, no, I mean, I have had the privilege of hosting in my home on more than one occasion members of the College of Cardinals. And for my wife, that was a big, like a big hosting, you know, everything's got to be nice kind of thing. Whereas I was sort of like, oh, they can eat what they eat. You know what I mean? But for my wife, this was a big... I don't know what you mean. No Cardinals ever served in my house, but... See, there's no way to say this without sounding like a jerk. No, no, it's all right. You fancy. You you carry on. I have been very blessed in my life to have supped with cardinals on a couple of occasions and um on the occasions when i had my when my wife i believe that we did indeed board our dog you know in a, at the time of a cardinal because i think my wife was concerned about like dog drool on watered silk you know what i mean mm-hmm. and uh not wanting to sort of make the so um yeah i think that you would board your i think that you i think that you would board your dog Okay, that makes sense. Okay. All right, Ed, um, would you like to play a game? 
Yeah, I, 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 after, after we, after season two of The Bachelor, I didn't think that there would be a game this week, but if you've got one, yeah, that'd be fantastic. Well, I mean, here's the deal. There's not, a, there are a lot of things I want to talk There are actually a lot of things I want to talk about because I'm steamed about a couple of things. I'm actually really steamed about a couple of things and I wanted to talk about them. I thought that we were going to talk about them on the show tonight, but it's too late. We're at the end of the show. You know what I mean? So I, the thing I'm that they're open. If you feel, I mean, I, I'm not going to, um, this is not a, I'm not shamming here. This is a genuine offer. Um, you you have some time off coming. I do, um, which is great, and I'm glad. But I, we're going to make a show. I'll be off next week on a little family vacation. But I presume we're going to make a show. I assume we're going to make a show too. But I was going to say, since you're going to be off, um, I will mind the store. And I'm very glad, by the way, that you're taking some time off because I think I've been working with you for four years now, almost exactly four years, um, and I don't think I've ever known you to take a a proper vacation so yeah and i it. highly doubt i'm gonna do it well what i was gonna say is if you want um since you you won't hopefully be overburdening yourself with work concerns and stuff if you want to do a bonus episode next week is like a catch-up thing because we have we've we've had a couple of weeks on the bounce where we've been like and sorry well, I don't Matt, make, David, we just ran out of time yeah i i don't know what that means but i don't want to make a, it's bonus a pop episode. culture reference that i had to look up so that i could use i don't want to make a bonus episode but i do want to make an episode next week I mean, I just want to make the okay. one episode next week, but right. I have a lot of things. I got a lot of things I got to say, you know, so I, I'm i just going to put those as things that we're going to talk about next week, if that's all right with you. That's But would you like me. to play a little game that I am just making up right now that I call Oh Canada? Oh, yes, please. Okay. Uh, in this, in this uh, game called Oh Canada, I will give you some true or falses about Canada, and you will tell me whether they are true or false. Does that sound fair to you? This sounds delightful okay ed true or false um or um you could say uh true or f that's not true eh or, or vrai or faux presumably because okay. you have to give all your answers in english and french yeah there are two true or false there are two official languages of canada uh there are two official languages of canada it's absolutely true okay good that was a warm-up round and you did it yeah vrai. Okay, vrai. okay ed true or false Canada is almost as large as the European Union. Uh, okay. Trick question. I'm saying false. Canada is larger than the European Union. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. We. Oui. Canada is indeed uh, larger than the entire European Union. Canada is 33 times bigger than Italy, 15 times bigger than France, more than 30% larger than Australia, five times as big as Mexico. Three times as big as India, and about the size Ed of eighty-two thousand Walt Disney Worlds. And they Canada have better is, maple syrup than all of them. Yeah, Canada is huge. It's 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 very very difficult to appreciate how big Canada is, but it's big. It it is big. It's why they get to have really great sort of population density numbers in some places, like you mentioned yeah, earlier. Like none of it. Yeah. Okay. I need I, to look into moving to Canada. I think you'd like Are you to allowed to just do that, or do you have to wait until there's a cultural moment in California that you're objecting to to move to Canada? Like, it's, are but you, you allowed what? to just say it looks nice up there, or do you have to be like, well, you know I hate what? the president, and so Here's I'm Here's what I would do. I would pick. I would make my moving plans to Canada. I wouldn't tell anybody, and then just whatever petty the petty issue du jour is, just tell them that's the reason you're going, and go, and let everybody believe that you I moved alone to am Canada. I the guy who moved right, to Canada. Exactly. I told you I was going to Canada if Tom Cruise didn't get cast in Top Gun 3, and damn it, I told the truth. <laughs> That's a great idea. Yeah. Okay. I, could, I may do that. 
I have a UK passport. Presumably, that just gets me in, right? That's like that's got to be no, like the MX black country. card it's a, it's of, a of Commonwealth country. I mean, you can get into Canada. I don't think you can live in Canada. Although, didn't uh, didn't your didn't your prince your you have your prince um, the <sighs> Prince Henry the first Prince of, Henry of of Sonoma County, yeah. Yeah, right, exactly. Didn't he live in Canada for a while because he couldn't get his American immigration straightened out or something? Like that? I, I believe it, they did have a brief stopover in Canada. I believe um, that is true as well. Uh, and I, in fact, I wrote uh, an article for a, a secular publication in which I made what I consider to be an extremely tongue-in-cheek and at times witheringly sarcastic and bitingly critical um, up at arguing that Henry Hank... Um, I don't know what he prefers to be called now because he's a man of the people who just, you know, continues to trade off his family name to address the UN and raise tons of money. But never mind. Um, I, I suggest he should be made governor general of Canada. And to my absolute delight, the following week, a national Canadian newspaper ran a poll on the idea of I remember that. Harry yeah, becoming I remember governor general I remember of Canada. Parading around like you had influenced the news. Okay, Ed, true or false, Canada's... Canada is as cold as Mars. Well, I, that's, this is a nonsense question. Parts of Mars are presumably colder than others. It has ice caps, and presumably the ice caps are colder than other bits of Mars. There's presumably equatorial Mars. There's Come on, man. I'm just making this game. Okay, fair enough. Um, probably colder. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, Canada is almost as cold as Mars. So um, in 1947, uh, in... Um, in the village of Snag, Yukon, um, the temperature of negative 63 degrees Celsius was recorded, February 3rd, 1947. But the average temperature on Mars, my friends, a cool negative 65 degrees Celsius. Canada is almost as cold as Mars. I, I feel like Mars should look over its shoulder because Canada's probably working on that. It's coming for it. Ed, um, true or false, Canada has 20% of the world's forests. No. You're right. It's 10. What I'm realizing okay. now is... So the way this game works is that... <laughs> is you've looked I, up Canada and the Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> I basically pulled up some facts about Canada and I was turning them into true or false questions. The problem that I'm now realizing is that I pulled up these facts from basically like a Canada tourism board website. So... All of them are boasty facts about Canada. So every each one, I'm like, true or false? Canada is the greatest in this way. And then I have to amend it just a little bit. So it's still impressive to have 10% of the world's forest cover, I suppose. Um, but yeah, it's... I, I'm yeah, but they're not the real forest. Presumably those are pine forests. Like, they're not doing anything for us. No, no, no. Actually, this is what's really interesting. And <laughs> Canada, you did it. They, they really <laughs> sold me. Canada has 30% of the world's boreal forest. I mean, that's a lot, right? Canada, I mean, you sly son of a bitch. I never saw that. You sly son of a bitch. <laughs> See, all these things, they're so boasty. Canada's national park. True or false, Ed? Canada's national parks are bigger than most countries. Uh, it's probably true, but I'd what say... What you say? It's true. Can you believe it? Canada is so vast. Even our parks dwarf other countries. Just take a look at Nahani National Park Reserve in the Northwest Territories. A sight to behold. Massive waterfalls. 30,000 square kilometers. Ed, that's bigger than... I will I can't be honest the, with you. Canadians... can't believe do, the countries they pick. They say that's bigger than Israel or Albania. Who's thinking like, bigger than Albania? <laughs> I can't believe it. <laughs> Who has Albania as a frame of reference look, in their mind? Canada... We, Look, it is it is a known. I don't think. Look, I'm going to say something, and I I say this lovingly, 
as as a as a sovereign as a fellow sovereign citizen and subject oh of her gosh. majesty okay yes as you love you uh... as an elder brother to a younger brother i have nothing but fraternal affection to to the citizens of the great white north but they do have kind they they are prone to this sort of thing like they do yeah. they do have a little bit of an inferiority complex bigger than albania i can't believe it now this they one should is put very... that on the back of their backpacks instead of those flags they sew on them because that's an interesting <laughs> fact <laughs> like but only in albania it's like oh that's pretty big actually because <laughs> this is uh, our country our country is like, gosh. yes i mean but uh do you need to, you know i mean only an albanian only an albanian and someone from azerbaijan i guess knows how big albania is that's true okay this is the last one because this one is so weird why they're boasting about this True or false, Ed? Canada, and if you haven't figured it out, the answer is Canada has North America's strongest current. Electromagnetic? What would. Like, tidal. Tidal current? I, sure. And let me tell you for why, JD. <laughs> it has something to do with the, the North Pole. No, it doesn't have something to do with the North Pole. It just has to do with the. You understand how currents work, right? It ha, when you understand how currents work. The shape of waves and the strength of currents has a lot to do with how much water is going through how narrow a thing. So if oh, something so this has is a inland. strong I tidal thought you current, meant tidal current. No, tidal current. Yeah. So a lot of water is being pulled through some narrow channel or something like that, and that creates a strong current. Okay. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Right. And it is also affected by ocean depth and, you know. Yeah. As I say, a lot of water. The moon factors into this uh, and other the science. The moon things. does. And I, Canada, as you know, obviously... I am something of an expert on... The heliocentric nature of our universe. Canada is closer to the moon, obviously, because it's towards the top of the Earth. So, um, you know, yeah, sure, so there's top, that. Because the Earth is round. Right, exactly. So, anyhow, uh, yeah, Discovery pa- the Seymour Narrows in British Columbia have some of the strongest tidal currents in the world. Um, with uh, floats, flood speeds in the tidal current of the Seymour Narrows of uh, 18 kilometers per hour in the... Oh, wait, that's the ebb speed. 17 kilometers per hour of the flood speed. These people are boasting that if you mess around in the ocean near British Columbia, you're going to get sucked out to sea. That's what is wrong with these guys? Well, I did, hang on. They said 18 kilometers. I mean, I don't speak French, but I would assume that that's like <laughs> five miles. Oh, man. Um, on the other coast, of course, you'll find... Kilometers are basically the Canadian dollar See, of... I, they, now, this part of their, their advertising thing... They're, they're promoting themselves by presuming you have foreknowledge of them. They're saying, it's on the other coast, of course. Oh, of course. Haha, <laughs> we all know about Canada. That you'll find those incredible 15-meter tides at the Bay of Fundy. I don't know what any word in that sentence means. Like, I don't know what the Bay of Fundy is. I don't know what a 15-meter tide is. I don't know what the other coast they're talking about is. Do they mean the Atlantic Ocean? I don't know, man. What is this? I, you know what these people need is the pontiff. They do. They need the Pope to come there and give them the good news. They really do. And I hope that when he does, those who host him... Do it well. I hope they don't listen to us. And, um, and you know, Ed, if you want to know more about Canada than I do, what you really need is uh, a good education. And one way to get a good education, Ed, is the Seton Home Study School, an accredited school assisting homeschooling parents with academically excellent and authentically Catholic curriculum. It's our sponsor for this episode of The Pillar Podcast. And, Ed, if you don't know this, The Pillar Podcast is a production of Pillar Media and Ed and JD Production. I'm your host, Pillar Ed and Chief J.D. Flynn, joined by my podcasting partner, Ed, the Elder Brother. <laughs>